Good evening. This is the first of two programmes, the material for which was recorded last Thursday morning as I travelled on the new CIE express bus to Coleraine. It goes non-stop to the border and then stops at a number of towns and villages in Armagh, Tyrone and Derry. I thought it would be a good idea to make the trip as a voyage of discovery or rediscovery through a part of Ireland that many of us don't know nearly as well as we should. I invited two Ulster men to join me, Benedict Kiley and Bill Meek, as well as a much-travelled Kerryman, Michael Hearn. CIE looked after us in the person of their Director of Public Relations, Sean J. White, who is himself one of the most knowledgeable of men on nearly every part of Ireland. And at Armagh, which is as far as we get uh, in tonight's programme, we were joined by that great authority on the locus of Ulster, Sean O'Boy. So, away we went. north, in some curious way, begins. I have a theory, of course, that the north begins once you cross the River Liffey. I don't know when, whether Ben Kiley would agree with that. Uh, well, not quite, but I will say that somewhere between Finglas and Slane it begins, and definitely when you get to the village of Slane, you are most assuredly on the fringe of the north. I don't know whether the citizens of Slane would be happy to hear you calling the proud town of Slane a village, but I know what you mean, and it is somewhere along here. I, there is some evidence, I think, that what we uh, call Ulster Irish came down to the gates of Dublin, and certainly there are ancestral memories of it round about Finglas here. Incidentally, of course, Finglas um, was the place where our good friend Seamus Ennis was reared and where uh, his father uh, lived for so long, and it was a great centre in our own time for tradition. I suppose you could say that this area would be a sort of Danish buffer between Leinster and the north. Uh, the Danish influence, as you know, was strong in this area, even to the pointed gables and the old houses. So that uh, you may get the feeling you have left Dublin, you have left Leinster, you're in a slightly different area, and you're moving into the north. It's a medial area here. Of course, uh, Thingless was Thingless before the Danes came. Uh, the Thinglas, the Argalash, the fair stream around which there were, there were monasteries and things there were, there there were, were, it yes. was quite an important monastery uh, Sean White I think you were about to yeah, say Saint, something uh, St. Cannock St. Cannock's monastery yeah. founded the monastery of Kilkenny of, fame of Kilkenny fame and was associated it was also associated with the monastery of Talla but while you were talking about the northern uh, connections Finglas is one very important one of course William of Orange camped here on his way from the Boyne mind you talking about English monarchs on this road which is, I think, one of the best roads in Ireland for straightness and general drivability and walkability. Uh, I always think of it as the pleasantest way to begin a journey north, even if you're going only as far north as Drawda. It's a much better road than going up by the coast. But um, um, Michael Ahern, I think you know about this road. You were telling me the reason why it is such a straight road. Yes, it was built for uh, by order of one of the Georges for his mistresses uh, who lived in Cunningham Castle, one of them, uh, 
George the Fourth, in George fact, I think. Fourth, yes. um, Prinny, that was, when he made his never-to-be-forgotten uh, visit to Ireland. That uh, is a trip, I think, that was never properly documented. Uh, well, except uh, uh, the decent English poet, Lord Byron, who documented it in the poem. What was it? Spread, spread for the tyrant, the royal repast, till the gluttonous despot be stuffed to the gorge, and the roar of his drunkards proclaim him at last, the fourth of the fools and oppressors called George. Well, at least he left us a straight road anyway. He did leave us a straight road. Well, he was in a great hurry, of course. <laughs> he was going, as you say, to see his mistress, who was the then Marchioness of Cunningham, I suppose. Yes, and in Slane Castle, the, the, the room is still preserved as the king's room. Uh, they still point it out on the, if you visit it, although it's not an open house. Well, uh, you were, uh, Sean White was going to say something here. Yeah, just on our right here is one of the best castles of this part of Dublin, Dunsockley Castle, uh, Castle of the Plunkets, uh, which is unique among Irish castles and still having its wooden roof completely intact. Uh, when they were rebuilding Bunratty Castle, they modelled the roof, Percy Leclerc, the uh, late inspector of national monuments and an excellent castle architect, took his model for the roof of Bunratty from Dunsockley. It also has a very pleasant chapel beside it with the arms of the Plunkets and the Sarsfields combined. Jeanette Sarsfield was the wife of the third Plunkett. Uh, in fact, a family you might have described as Castle Catholics. <laughs> we're coming into hunting country now, of course. This is the ward we're going through, and this is the scene from here to Ashburn in of the ward union hunt. Well, and this is the ward. Yeah, are, we, are, we, are we in the ward yet? Yes, we're in the ward now, yes. The ward, by the way, was one of the out-colonies of the uh, Gwaelpot settlement uh, in uh, Kildare, uh, and, of course, particularly Meath, which began in the 1930s and stretches as far west as Rakhiren. Uh, I know that some families were settled here in the ward. Uh, the ward itself, does anybody know the... The origin of the word "the ward" uh, or, or is this one of the many uh, questions on which one must profess ignorance? Or Sean White? Well, I'm going to hazard that it's uh, it, it's it's the Norman fortification, a ward or guard, ah, guarded yes, place. Of yes. I mean, right out here, as you say, to the Pale. Indeed, even further out to Trim and out as far as Four in County Westmeath, you have these small protected walled towns. And the ward was probably one of these at the time. Against what would be the hill tribes if there were any hills in this part of the country? Yeah, well, this would have been, I suppose, the sort of basic area of the pale around here. As uh, Sean points out, it does spread out to four in Westmeath, where there are still remnants of the old fortifications. A member of our party who has not expressed himself so far is Bill Meek. Uh, Bill, as a Ulster man yourself, do you find the blood quickening or anything? Do you subscribe at all to the theory that we're that we're really, that the north begins at Finglas. I think that's true enough and the blood is, is tingling away uh, behind us, a few miles behind us, I don't know if anyone noticed there was a, um, a slogan written up on the wall saying royalty go home, I wonder was this to do with, with King George's Road I know Davy Hammond from Belfast was heading down this road one time from the other direction when he saw that notice he said he was felt so hurt he just turned around and went home again <laughs> Well, so long as it doesn't apply to broadcasters and doesn't mean broadcasters go home, we're all right.
But down the pale roads of Ashburn are heard the voices of the free. And that was Francis Ledwidge, about whom we'll be hearing more later. No doubt, as we come into Slane, Francis Ledwidge talking about Thomas Ash. Thomas Ash, who, uh, of course, died in Mountjoy, but who took part in the Battle of Ashburn, uh, which was um, officially described as a skirmish. But it was one of the uh, significant engagements of 1916. Uh, Dick Mulcahy, of course, took part, and uh, your fellow countryman, Michael Ahern, Thomas Ash, was one was the hero there. That's right, and it's uh, the only place in which the Irish weren't defeated in 1916. And when the order came for them to surrender, they insisted on its being confirmed. They could not believe that the Irish were being defeated, so great was the confidence of Mulcahy and Ash in their own ability and in the ability of the men they had with them. And, of course, the fact that um, it, that such a, a, an engagement got off the ground, as they say, at all, shows how much support there were in, uh, there was in, in, in places like this, you know. We, I, I know that uh, people like yourself, mountainy men like yourself, and men from the remoter parts of the country tend to think of this country around here as pale country, but of course it isn't. No, it's a land rich in associations. After all, it is, you might say, the oldest place in Ireland. Indeed, uh, and, and into the, which we are going at the, the moment. The journey we're taking will be, I suppose, through uh, that part of Ireland which uh, showed its, uh, still uh, shows signs of a very, very old civilization indeed. Um, we'll be coming up to the Boyne, of course, which is, I suppose, the first of Irish rivers long before yes. it became uh, a political river. Yes, and it, it takes so much history. I remember bringing visitors along the Boyne. I noticed they were always astounded with the layer upon layer of, of history from thousands of years before the Christian era right down to the last great battle, the last great European battle fought on the river and um, then down to uh, the engagement that Michael was talking of just a moment ago. And Sean? Well, not forgetting Ashburn before we get completely out of it, I think the charm of this village, some of its associations with, for example, the hunt, the ward union, that lovely little huntsman's house there. But I think one of the interesting things of Ashburn is that monument we passed there, the obelisk, to Charles Brindley. I think Michael knows the story of the obelisk. Well, he was uh, a huntsman with the ward union hunt for 35 years, and when he died, they set up this monument to him, which is most impressive. And may I say this? I have done this road a hundred times by car and once stepped off to see the obelisk, but it's the first time I've seen it from a vehicle. And uh, I was just thinking, as we were talking, how pleasant it is to see the country from a bus. I mean, I can afford to look around and see it. And, this and is, by the way, there is quite a lot to see. Yeah, Where does the pleasant. legend begin that uh, the Midlands of Ireland are dull? Well, I don't really know. There's a sort of theory. People think that flat country must be dull. But I think that was marvellously shot down by the late A.D. Blockham long ago in his Roddy the Rover column. He wrote a rather beautiful article about cycling through the Midlands and talked about the infinite variety that you can find in every little glen and hollow. They're not really flat at all, not in terms of Alberta or Saskatchewan or anything like that. And indeed, um, William Bulfin in his rambles and yeah. rambles through air. Well, and he, he was a Midland man, of course, and, and was extremely devoted to the Midlands. But he really did catch the beauty of little quiet villages and lost by, valleys in the Midlands. By the way, does anybody know any of you knowledgeable 
men know, are we yet in the county Mead? Eh? Oh yes, oh yes, we are in the county Mead. Mead begins just after we the war, actually. We have just crossed one of the upper waters of the River Nanny uh, that flows out to the sea at Leighton. Uh, a river, one of these rivers from which St. Patrick was supposed to have barred the salmon. But I'm told, or somebody told me, that a salmon came into the Nanny 12 months ago, which either means that uh, St. Patrick has relented or that the curse has weakened. And that the patrician age is ending. So this is very much patrician country, of course. Uh, the l- wonderful town of Dooleach, which is just to our right here, is has got a patrician church. It has quite a number of monastic remains, but it has one very old Irish church with strong associations with St. Patrick. And in, in, in Dooleach, Sean, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, isn't there a tree under which Father Matthew preached and Johnny Patterson, the famous clown, performed? Not at the same time, of course. <laughs> I never heard that, but there's a famous tombstone in uh, Dulig. Did you ever see it? The one to the man who was yes. shot in the belly at Ockram. And it goes on to say on the tombstone, and died in London on the following year. I mean, and uh, travelling along the road, you mentioned Francis Ledwidge. We shouldn't forget, as we go along so quickly, that when he first left Slane to work, he got uh, tired in life in Dublin, and one day set out and walked the 30 miles back to Slane. A brave step. Had Paris seen this young maid serene, the Grecian queen he would soon disdain, and straight embrace this virgin chaste, and peace would grace the whole Trojan plain. If ancient Caesar would honour gaze, sir, he'd stand amazed for to view this dame, sweet Cleopatra, he would freely part her, and his crown he'd batter for the Star of Slain. The Star of Slain, a great ballad. You haven't attuned to it, Bill. I haven't, unfortunately. Uh, the only fault I have to find with your rendition there apart from not having a tune to it, is that you used the effete pronunciation Caesar instead of Caesar, oh. which which rhymes with uh, gaze, sir. Uh, a ballad which you know too, Ben, of course. The yes, start of the Slane. Start of and uh, introducing this bit of our trip, because we're coming in to Slane, into this lovely uh, little valley here, uh, through which flows that the great and noble Boyne River. Macaulay said, by the way, that uh, when William III saw the Boyne Valley for the first time, he couldn't uh, repress an exclamation of delight. And as we look at it now, we can very well share this view, although I don't know what evidence Macaulay had for uh, saying this. I don't be at any The Boyne... Uh, the Boyne Bridge here. As we, come, as we cross the Boyne, this is a beautiful old bridge, and I hope... I mean, a lot of old bridges are being destroyed... Uh, to destroy this one would be, would, be, would, be, would, be, would be a sin. Uh, the town of Slane, I think, is an architectural gem that passing through you might notice until you look around. First, as you cross the bridge and look on the left, there is the gates of the castle, of Slane Castle. It looks, by the way, as if we're going to have plenty of time to discuss the scene from the bridge because I can see here there is a traffic jam of a rural and agricultural kind, uh, uh, various types of cow, calf and other 
quadrupeds are getting involved. That reminds me of one time I was going along a country road and I was held up by a traffic jam with a policeman controlling it of a flock of geese crossing the road. <laughs> were the geese well-behaved Swiss-type geese? or were Better they than any pedestrians I've ever seen. <laughs> Did the goose step? <laughs> <laughs> to get back to the castle and its uh, gates, which you see on the left, uh, the, these gates and indeed a great deal of the ultimate decoration of the castle were done by Francis Johnston, the architect of the GPO. Well, Francis Johnston's name will, I imagine, be coming up again and again on this again trip. and again on, on, all our way to Armagh, which was his hometown and where he built some of the most distinguished public buildings. But the middle of Slane itself is a delightful little octagon designed by James Wyatt, the English architect, who also did a great deal of the work in Slane. He's taken, there are four houses, four feature houses in, around the crossroads. Yes, we'll be coming into them in a minute. Just hold on for yeah. a second. The, uh, the, the, what we're just passing now, these, the castle walls, yes. uh, this, uh, the, the, these are relatively modern, are they? Yes, this is Francis Johnson. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, Gothic, Gothic mm. job of the yes. early 19th century. By the way, in, in Slane Castle itself, uh, the Marquis of Cunningham was telling me there are uh, six plaques which came from the Louvre which, which, when, when it was destroyed at the time of the French Revolution. There were 12 in all medallion plaques. You mean some indefatigable Irish souvenir hunter brought them well, well, and he had a, a, a very large job because there must be a yard in circumference and uh, very heavy they were. I don't plaques know, of what? Uh, uh, there were medallions in stone of carved stones from the Louvre itself. There are six in France and the six here and I understand the French government are continually trying to get them. Back. I see. Perhaps war will be declared between our two nations. Now we're come to your to your to your lovely square, our crossroads or whatever. Four feature houses and the outbuildings of each house have been continued. They have been arcaded with arches to give a delightful piazza-like effect. Would you put a date on them, Sean? 1780 uh, or something? A, a little later, in fact. Almost the turn of the century uh, yes. when Wyatt was working. Uh, I did yeah. hear at some stage that they were built for four daughters or something like that of, of a... Well, you, I think these are pleasant stories, but in fact, I think it was uh, proportion rather than anything else why it was attaining there. And they, they're certainly very beautiful. Well, uh, yes, Ben. And this is St. Patrick's Slane up to the left above us, where the fire was lighted according Indeed. to our tradition. Indeed, I remember coming up here very well up this hill during the patrician year in uh, 1961 uh, for, this, for the Slane celebrations. And, and I remember there was a, a large crowd here, and there was a young uh, man doing a roaring trade in selling badges on that occasion. Now, these were not badges of St. Patrick, as you might imagine, but of a bearded prelate. Uh, and they were being bought under the impression uh, by uh, the, 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 the public that these were, in fact, badges representing Cardinal Agagenian, who was the papal legate. Uh, yeah to the uh, patrician celebrations. In fact, there were a job lot purchased in London, no doubt for a song, of uh, Archbishop Macarius. Oh, the Cypriot. <laughs> yes. And uh, it was after the settlement with, with Britain and um, the... the um, the, uh, between Cyprus and Britain, and no doubt the badges were, as I say, very cheap, and they were being sold at something like a shilling each. And <laughs> By the way, probably the best book on the Boyne Valley is still William Wilde's book, The Father of Oscar. And, uh, oh, surely, is that true yeah, still? It I is, mean, yes. It has to be no comparable book. No, no comparable book. 
I mean, some of the facts would have to be updated, but that's... Oh, well, surely yeah. mo many of them, because, not, I mean, the... Not all that, the, but well, the, is quite, it's quite a good... Well, look, when you come... The, the Boyne Valley, surely, is the very, you know, is the, the hunting, the happiest of hunting ground for the prehistorians, because the layers of it must be fantastic, you know. Well, unfortunately, our prehistorians are specialists, and they dwell on a particular site, say, Nauth or Douth or something like this, whereas there was... To use a 19th century phrase, a capaciousness about Sir William Wilde's book, that he does include a great deal of the archaeology and the prehistory of the valley that you don't find in any one place. Yes. He does say, by the way, about the hotel in Slane, which still exists, that he got there as bright and generous a glass of claret as he ever received. I have drunk a glass of claret myself in the town of Slane. Nor must we forget the local poet. I suppose that was his country down there just below us. Ledwidge, of whom we spoke yes, earlier. Yes. Uh, he uh, was a man. When I think of Ledwidge, of course, I think of my our dear friend, uh, God rest his soul, Philip Rooney. Indeed, yes. Uh, who loved this part of the country and who loved Ledwidge. And uh, spent a lot of time down here pursuing the traces of Ledwidge, too. And did a very, very good radio documentary on him. He did indeed. Yes. And of course, uh, he was uh, one of a company who often walked around this area and, of course, did the, well, the Boyne Walk, which we've left behind I us now. I've walked it myself with Brinsley, of course. Brinsley, Brinsley McNamara, who was... And, the, of course, the Boyne the Walk boat. was immortalised by Fred Higgins. In it. Uh, once I walked through my own most lovely meat. It's, it's a happy thing, by the way, that the Antashka has now more or less got control of the Boyne Walk and are hoping to improve, improve and maintain it. And anyone who has done it will know that this is one of the loveliest walks in Ireland. And you pass, of course, Old Castle and the monument to Schomburg, which is gone now, but the, the stump of it remains. Bill, uh, have you a song about the Boyne? Oh, have I uh, a song? Yeah. <laughs> I suppose there's no river in Ireland more celebrated than song. But uh, of the songs of the battle, I think that the nicest is the old one, to the, the, the old show in Sholem and Yarn. Um, I'll give you one verse of it. July the first on a morning clear in 1690 famous King William did his men prepare to fight with bad King Seamus King James he pitched his camp between the lines for two Retire, but King William threw his bombs in and he set them all on fire. That's um, a tune I never heard to that to those words before. It is the short and the tune, as you say. Is it related at all to the to the uh, to the uh, more common tune? Uh, I would imagine so, but it, it's it, it strays a good. A good yes. way from the from the, does, the usual does, ones. It's, it's, uh, By the way, you know the, 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 the on the green grassy slopes of the Boyne. Where yeah. it, how old is that? I would think it's Victorian. I imagine. Ah. I think. Uh, um, I mean, the tune there is Columbia, the the gem of the ocean. Oh yes, actually. yes, so yes. It's, uh, uh, Hence, it's incorporation in uh, the American Patrol. That's know, right. Yes, 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 Glenn Miller. Yes, right. But come back to the Boyne again. But as you say, there are, I suppose, a hundred songs about the Boyne. Oh, yes, and um, there's, I mean, not all about the battle. There's, the, there's another one, the, the Banks of the Boyne. Um, for I'm a youthful damsel, and I love me laddie well. I love me laddie better, far better than tongue can tell. It was in me father's garden that he won this heart of mine. 
and he tempted me to wander far from the lovely Boyne. I think before we leave the Battle of the Boyne and that, there are a few curious things to remember. One is that you know the story of James II very briefly uh, when he ran and Lady Turconnell said, uh, he said to her uh, that the cowardly Irish had run away and she said, I see your majesty has run the, the race. race. And but when James I suppose that legend is debunked like all the others. Well, not I don't know. It's not quite clear. But when James went to France, he spread the story around how cowardly the Irish were. And we had a tremendous reputation for being cowards, which wasn't redeemed in France until the Battle of Fontenoy and yes, Ramilly. Do you think that any of this is even remotely true? Well, this is true. Uh, this is a historical fact about the, the Irish I, I being sus- regarded as cowards. But you know, it- with the remark of the George when he heard of the... Uh, that the Irish were cowards and that they had won the Battle of Fontenoy, he said uh, about the penal laws. Of course, be the laws that describe that deprive me of such character. I wonder whether all any of this is at all true. And um, here I am doing my devil's advocate bit, I know. But um, then Kylie is looking out the window here at something which has caught his attention. I am looking forward to this striking view of the village of Colin. Colin has a rather strange reputation, apart from its long association, of course, with uh, a rather Mellifont being there originally before Colin and New Mellifont, the Cistercian Abbey now being just off the road here. But Colin is supposed to be the coldest village in Ireland. I often wondered why. I suspect it's because this slope may catch a lot of the northeast wind. It certainly doesn't look cold today. It certainly does not, and my own memories of it are far from cold. I remember a very convivial evening here indeed, once upon a time. But what a lovely little place it is. Sean, uh, that square there. That's a little market square in Market House. It's, uh, laid out, it's a typical Colin, typical landlord's town in this respect, with that kind of 18th century good manners of the small landlord's town. Like a dare in Limerick. A dare in Limerick, or on a lesser scale, less rustic than a dare. But it is just a nice little 18th century grouping. Uh, I wonder if you were going on to talk about a, a, a later association of Colin with its Russian colony. Oh, of you know? course, yes, uh, Tolstoy, the yes, Tolstoy family. The Tolstoy yes. family lived here, and uh, Count Nicholas Kouras. Of course, and, yes. Uh, a great and number, father, yes, Father Kouras. Yes. Father Kouras, a great number of our Irish, with us. Irish scholars of Russian yes. did their work here in Colin. Conor Cruz O'Brien and... Captain Martin Bates, the yes. UCD, and various others. Uh, yes, I, I didn't know about that until I, I met a, a friend of mine some years ago who works in the United Nations, and uh, when he heard I came from Ireland, he said, oh, yes, I went to Ireland to a village called Cullen to, to learn Russian. Which... Into RD, Ah Erdia, Ferdia's Ford. Uh, although the uh, place name men tell me that there is in fact some doubt about the name, uh, another illusion shattered forever. I thought that it did in fact preserve uh, Michael Hearn. There's a river D here actually, it may have something to it do with might, that. You yes. never know, however, we'll. We, uh, yeah, the river I think would be called after Ferdia's too. It would be the town of the Ford of Ferdia, and D would be an English corruption taken out of the total name, I suspect. Well, and anyway, let's leave this to the onomasticists. How do you like that word? Uh, Are there many of them in RD? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
there are there may not be onomasticists, there are certainly turf men, and we will hear about them in a moment uh, when we've exhausted. Is yes. a fine study, isn't it, as we come up here? Now, this is still in use uh, as a courthouse, this castle. And, uh, when was it built? It's a 13th century building, uh, but it's on, probably on the site of the original castle owned by a man with the marvellous name of Gilbert Pippard, who was given the Barney of R.D. by Prince John of England the in 1186. The Normans came here, all right, yes. Oh, yes, the Normans were... This was one of their far-flung outposts here. So it, I think uh, it's a bit much to say that he's responsible for the castle, though, Sean. Oh, no, it's not a bit more modern. Oh, yeah, I said it's more modern. I said yeah. uh, late 13th century, whereas yeah. he was here in 1186. There's another castle a little further down here, Hatches Castle, which is... Uh, Hatches. Hatches. Yes, the Hatch family were here well, quite recently. Oh, yes, they were a Cromwellian family, but it's called here, They occupied it until 30 years ago, I think. But um, the the town itself uh, is a lovely town, famous for its jumping church, I remember, too, in modern times. Yes, there is this old ruin some miles over there to the left. It's a rather extraordinary structure. Uh, there must have been some earth tremor, portion of the upper part of the wall shot outwards. And uh, the age of fate is dead when you say a thing like that. Well, uh, it's just, it might be something like the San Andreas Fault in California. There may be an earthquake fault near RD. But the broken fragment of the wall remains perilously poised on the um, on the, the bottom portion, which didn't move. So that, in fact, uh, the, a large portion of this little old church moved sideways. Although, of course, you could always say that since Pope John, the entire church is jumping. But, so. I think we should say that, of course, this was an intelligent Irish wall. After all, when the Tower of Pisa came up against geological difficulties, it had to lean over to meet it. The <laughs> Irishman jumped out of the way. Sean White? Well, of course, the popular story locally is that why the wall uh, jumped was to escape the grave of a heretic who was buried and to put him outside the pale. That's when I, why, why I said that the age of fate was dying when Ben introduced the note of geological difficulties. Could the heretic not have jumped after the church? <laughs> For the sake of health, I took a walk last week at early dawn. I met a jolly turf man as I slowly jogged along. It's the kind of salutations passed twixt him and me. And soon I got acquainted with the turf man from R.D. We talked about our country's woes and how we were oppressed. The men we sent to Parliament to get our wrongs addressed. Sure, all those politicians are nothing else I see. But led by a bloomin' humbug, said the turf man from R.D. Thank God things have changed since then. Uh, but uh, I think we should say, uh, while there's no bog here, it's a great thing to see the uh, hedgerows still being preserved. I've marvelled all the way as I come along and look out on the countryside from my perch. But I haven't seen a single hedgerow destroyed. And this is remarkable because in England, as you know, some thousands of miles of hedgerows disappear every year, and now they're seeing that this is damaging, that the hedgerows have a practical as well as a beautiful use in that they prevent wind-blown soil, and the topsoil has been blown off from many acres in England. And I hope that this doesn't come here, apart from the value of the topsoil, on account of the sheer beauty of the countryside. You are always noted for your care for all things agricultural, uh, Ben Kiley. Uh, talking of bog, I suppose you know, there's mountain, mountain turf up on towards Cross McGlen and in that neighbourhood. Ah, well, well, we're approaching a different land there. Well, you, what I mean is that your R.D. turfman, in fact, oh, must have travelled a long way. I think it's more than a monotorf, yeah. Uh, Sean, uh, I see around here a number of nice houses of the kind over there. You know, the small, well-built 
uh, house, probably early 19th century. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, I think the, the farm, the comfortable farmer's house, uh, it's a kind of a late Georgian house or a Regency house, uh, is, well, in County Mead generally and up this country, we meet it all the way up to Ulster, is a, it's a particularly pleasant piece of domestic building, this kind of house, probably only distinguished by some some small formal element like a, a fanlight. Although, uh, not far over from here, uh, there's a very fine grouping by Thomas Ivory, who built the, uh, the city hall in Dublin. And it really is a piece of, I would say, rustic palladium, uh, with uh, a central farmhouse with the barns worked out, tricked out as palladian wings, and all done in whitewash. An absolutely beautiful piece of uh, vernacular classical architecture. Yeah, which, of course, gives me the opportunity to refer to that crowd in the rates department in, in City Hall in Dublin as living in an ivory tower. By the way, to come back once again to where does the North begin, uh, where Finglas was a candidate, and then, of course, we said the Boyne. But I think uh, once we have gone through our D, there can be no doubt, because certainly in the time of the Thorne, uh, it was well believed that uh, once you had crossed here, uh, you were into the kingdom, yes? And furthermore, we're about to cross the River Lagan. Oh, are we? I didn't know the Lagan came... God, I'm terribly ignorant. I didn't know the Lagan came down here. No, it's a different Lagan. Oh, it's a different different Lagan. The upper part's called the Lagan, and the lower part is called the Glide. The Glide. And it it, it runs into the the D, in fact, then, don't we? I see. I, I, I feel more than ever the need for an onomasticist, we a fluvial onomasticist. We also cross in the neighbourhood of the Fane Valley here, where William Carleton spent some time on his way to Dublin. Don't tell me we're going to go no, through Carleton country. Oh, no, no, we don't touch it because on this route. say that I knew the name Carrickmacross before I knew that it was a place name because of a piece of lace that my mother, God rest her had when, uh, I remember when I was a small boy, it was referred to as Carrickmacross lace. Now they still make the lace here of course in the uh, Louis Convent, but I suppose for all of us this town is mainly notable because of its associations with Patrick Kavanagh. It would have been Patrick's local market town when they went to market and when he wrote that lovely poem about meeting his mother at the edge of the town in the evening. This really was his market town. His mother was tall, what was it, tall and hard as a Protestant spire, was that? No, not his own mother. But of course, it's, it's from, it's Maguire's mother in the Great Hunger. The Great Hunger, yes, yeah. it's Maguire's mother, of course. It's rather interesting he should have picked on the Protestant spire, actually, because looking at the spire of the Protestant church there, I think it's the first example on our road to Ulster that we see of that peculiar... Ulster form of architecture, planters gothic, although it's not as old as uh, some of the churches uh, that we see further up. Uh, it is in the, in this line. It probably was designed by Thomas Cooley uh, of Armagh, Francis Johnson's master, who, like uh, some architects nowadays, did his building out of a pattern book. Actually, the book is in Primate Robinson's library in Armagh, where the rector came along and he picked his church out of Cooley's book, and Cooley said, I'll do that one for you for 1500. And uh, Carrick Macross was one of these. Yes, Carrick Macross was one. Uh, 
the actual uh, Kavanagh country in Ischkeen, Mucker and so on, are, is that over to the... It lies over to our right here on towards Mucker and Ischkeen and turn towards the Dundalk country with its background of mountains running up into South Armagh. That would be Patrick's native haunts over there. I must say that in the last months of Patrick's life, he uh, talked to me a lot about uh, an aspect of his childhood in the area which he didn't touch on much before, and that was the fact that when he was growing up, it was still there were still the remains of a black Gaelic where he lived, and that everybody over fifty or so had some Irish, and of course that the old people were Irish speakers. And, of course, it was a poet's country because, oh, their name, Macui and so on, the southeast Ulster area, which I suppose only Kerry, Michael Ahern, can compare for, in poetry, uh, the Egon O'Rahla, the Schnee of local country. Yes, well, Kavanagh, when he called one of his poems symbolically, Art Macui was very conscious of that, yes. that he was just the same type of man that Macui had been and was speaking... Uh, the voice out of the grass and out of the stones of this country, as Macui in his time had spoken. Uh, the connection in Kerry, of course, uh, Michael will be able to... It must be very close between the past and the present. Uh, it is. We have this uh, this tradition still in Slave Lopra and the Fort Kerry Ports aspect of it. But funnily enough, as we were going along, I wasn't thinking of Paddy Cavanaugh the poet as much as Paddy Cavanaugh the footballer and the glorious story he told about the time they were in the County Monaghan Championship and uh, they had a trainer to train them and the trainer trained them in a most peculiar way. He didn't give them a ball for a fortnight before the match and he said, wait till they get into the match, they'll be mad for it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I wonder what county, I've lost count of counties. Bill, you came out with some quite impressive statistic at the beginning of the journey. Uh, yes, I was looking at um, P.W. Joyce's uh, um, Atlas, which uh, gives each county in Ireland separately, uh, but the interesting thing about it is it gives every barony as well. And I worked out that on this journey we'll, we'll be going through seven counties and twenty baronies. And in fact, uh, a connection to to our starting point in Dublin, we end up in the Liberties, the Liberties of Northeast Coleraine. In fact. <laughs> Well, it runs something like from Carrick Macross to Cross McGlen, the judge he then did say, there are more rogues than honest men. Uh, the full words of the ballad tell the tale of the innocent country boy who went to the fair and was put drunk by the cattle dealers from and the horse dealers from Cross McGlen. You know, it wasn't the boys from Shercock, is it, or the lads from Bally Bay, but the dealing men from Cross McGlen put whiskey in me tea. Uh, the chap would apparently have been a pioneer, or whatever it was before the pioneers, a temperance father, Matthew Mann. I was a bold teetotaler for nine long years or more. The neighbours all respected me and decent clothes I wore, and so on. My parents or something, they looked up to me till one unlucky day, just like a child, I was beguiled by whiskey and my tea. I suppose that happened behind us at Carrick. At Carrick Macross. Uh, and uh, we were not touching Cross Midland on this trip. We'll be coming into... Um, uh, Castle Blaney is our next town. Um, 
Castle Blaney is, I think, very distinguished because it is one of the loveliest lakes in Ireland, quite close to it, Loch Mucknow, about which there is indeed a very beautiful ballad. Uh, I only know a fragment of the words, uh, the maid of Lord Blaney's domain. Uh, the chap walks out in the evening and sees this lovely girl by the shores of Loch Mucknow. There are some lovely lines like, When the foes all surround me in battle and I'm in the midst of all pain, to you I'll be true, lovely Mary, fair maid of Lord Blaney's domain. Have you got that, Bill? I don't, and it's, uh, I wish I had. It's, it's, it's lovely stuff altogether. The only song I know myself about Castle Blaney is, uh, I think it's actually a... a from some of the place names, it's, it's maybe comes from a wee bit north of here, but um, it's uh, about Castle Blaney, Castle Blaney Bessems. Castle Blaney Bessems, Bessems fine and new, fine heather Bessems, you can have them too. Tie them up in bundles, hang them round your car. Castle Blaney Bessems, round the man of war. And, in fact, the man of war is a place that we'll be passing just when we cross over the Armagh border in a few minutes. Castle Blaney, is, is, it a, is, this an, is it an old town, Sean? Uh, pretty old, yes. It's uh, Well, as Ulster towns go, it's of the, uh, the first plantation. Uh, actually, Lord Blaney, or Sir Edward Blaney, who was uh, a... Um, soldier of James I, uh, was the one who built the castle here, Castle uh, Blaney Castle, later became Hope Castle, and is now owned by the Franciscan nuns and run as a guest house. Of course, uh, the, the name Blaney doesn't occur in the old name, uh, which is Cushlan Mahuna. Uh, uh, the... yes, it was McMahon territory, and by Inishkeen, actually, there is a stone, the uh, Shannon Rock which traditionally marks the spot which the, is the end of the Pale and the beginning of the McMahon Territory. You Kerry men are obsessed with thoughts of the Pale. I, I, I rule the word out of order for the rest of the Territory because, of course, we're crossing into another uh, area which I will not have the word Pale used about either and that uh, we will be shortly coming to the border, uh, not alone, of course, of the uh, County Monaghan into County Armagh, but also the border between uh, the Republic and Northern Ireland, uh, yes? By the way, it's along this road, probably, that the body of uh, Brian Boru was taken uh, after the Battle of Clontarf. As you know, he's buried in Armagh Cathedral. And I, I have been told, although I know you are going to make fun of this, that until quite recently there were people in the hills... Who remembered who, who, who described could describe it from folk memory... The, the journey north and the thing and this is, I've heard very graphic stories of this I do you think say, that you are coming up here from the bogs of Kerry to tell us that sort of thing and expect us to believe you Sean White I'm just noticing the lake we pass here the fishing stands in the lake uh, this area is uh, what someone has described the resort of our rough tourists the coarse fishermen uh, they uh, have brought a great deal of prosperity to this area around here Castle Blaney and Carrick of course here we're on the tip of our lake district which uh, the Midlands and yes. South Ulster yes. and uh, yeah, shall we have Bill Meek uh, yes I was thinking of another thing on the economic side of life here there, it used to be um, quite an industrial place because there were extensive lead mines but I think they're all died out now just a few miles off the road here uh, perhaps, uh, though, the memory of them may inspire some port. I was, uh, apropos of nothing, well, apropos of just of that reference to lead mines, I was delighted to find that W.H. Auden's favourite reading as a child was a, 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 a British stationery office pamphlet on lead deposits. 
uh, somewhere in the uh, in, in the English Midlands, and uh, who knows? But perhaps some infant Orton, or maybe some infant Tyre de Chardin, might be moved by by Bill Meek's scholarly reference to the to the lead industry in Castlebaring. Uh, yes. I wonder, uh, Ben, do you do you have heard of the Australian poet A. B. Patterson called Banjo? Banjo, Banjo, Banjo yeah. Patterson. Yeah. I, yes. I think I, I seem to remember reading from the face of the book the short account of his life that he was an armar man, although. There are now thousands of listeners probably about to write in that he came from somewhere else. But he wrote some very uh, fine ballads, and he obviously had some knowledge of the Irish language, and uh, he knew the orange and green struggle, of course, which also spread to Australia to an extent. And he has this thing, I remember a line from one of his poems, the horse thief, about the horse thief Andy Reagan, who was riding the Irish horse, and then the, the orange horse was called Mandarin. But the ballad I like best is one, and I'll just give you a few lines of it. Uh, now, this was what Macpherson told while waiting on the stand. A reckless rider overbold, the only man with hands to hold the rushing Rio Grande. He said this day, I bid goodbye to bit and bridle rein, to fences deep and trenches high, for I have dreamed a dream, and I will never ride again. I dreamt last night I rode this race, which I today must ride, and cantering down to take my place, I saw full many an old friend's face come stealing by my side. Dead men and horses long since dead, they clustered on the track. The champions of the days long fled, they moved around with noiseless tread, in grey chestnut brown and black. And one man on a big grey steed came up and waved his hand. Said he, I've come to help a friend in need. And we have come to give a lead to you and Rio Grande. And then it goes on to describe how everyone who heard, all who heard the story knew that Bra- Jock McPherson, brave and true, was going to his doom. How, listen, just a moment, how did we get there? I mean, well, what does this have to do with... If I may say so, I will never after that underestimate a Kerry man. Little did I think that I would listen to a Kerry man reciting Banjo Patterson on the road from Castle Kenny to Kitty. Well, so. even, even, I, was, I was going to say that even yourself couldn't do better. No, I mean, I have, I have seen you... I raise my hat, I raise my hat. I've seen you sort of bringing in... Uh, Memories of 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 of, uh, of Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. When Obviously, you have grown tired of my ballad, but I must tell you that in Newman, who won the race? Well, I don't care. Who but won when the race. they reached the big stone wall, down came the bridle hand, and loud we heard Macpherson call, "Make room, make room for Rio Grande." And of course, they didn't. But was Rio Grande? Was he a Monaghan horse, or even an Armagh horse? No, no, he We've was sold by the O'Connors of Kerry. Oh, Benjo Patterson was a, was an Armagh. And you think yes. <laughs> he, was he, he was bred in Calgary. <laughs> yes. I see, by the way, I see, by the way, a, a lorry passing with the name McKenna on it. Now, this is, of course, we, we we're coming out of the McMahon country, I suppose, into the McKenna country, are we here? This, this is McKenna country, indeed. It's a very common name all over this area. Uh, how it stands tribally, I don't know. I mean, uh, in terms of the ancient We clans. need not alone uh, uh, an anonymasticist. But uh, what do we need? What is the... Uh, One of those maps simply <laughs> that tells you... <laughs> or we need Owen O'Malley, God rest him. God rest his soul, indeed we do. We're also coming into the Redmond O'Hanlon, the Tory country. Of course. I mean, round By here he rode from here north. By Douglas Bridge I met Redmond. a man who lived adjacent to Straban. We're off quoting again. Yes. But this is the O'Hanlon country all and along these the mountains. before a riding with O'Hanlon.
border, we stop to change drivers and a chance to meet the man who drove us so far, Joe Mackesy. I'm a Waterford man by birth and uh, I have the honour of being a free man of my city as well. How, how did that happen, if I may say? Well, I come from a very old Waterford family and I think I'm about the seventh free man in the seventh generation of my family. How do you like it around this part of the world? Well, it's very nice country, very nice country indeed. The people are very friendly. The run is excellent. We, of course, have to make up most of our time between Dublin and Ashbourne. That's where we have a good straight road. The other parts, of course, are good roads, but they're narrow, and we have to take the extra precaution and, of course, reduce speed. I'm glad to say that on this side of the border they have as nice a bit of lake as I've ever seen in my life. What do they call this, Bill? It's called the, the, um, the clay lakes. There's a number of clay lakes in Ireland. It's usually because of the sort of geophysical sort of setup. But in, in fact, just across the lake there, there's a little place called Clay. And um, on our right, we're coming up to another little place, uh, which I mentioned in the song about uh, Castle Blaney Bessems. It's a place actually called the Man of War. Not a Portuguese Man of War. Uh, ben, um, you know this part of the County Armagh well? Well, not, not just this particular stretch. I've crossed this road all right, but I've never, so to speak, uh, settled here. You Do know, we go anywhere near the fuse here, Ben? Uh, the fuse would be over to the right there, South Armagh. Um, when we were in Carrickmacross, we were reasonably near we're Very, very close to the fuse, yes. Yeah, the fuse, of course, which is from the Irish word fia, wood, yes. uh, immortalised in the phrase... Uh, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, what was king, it? King of the Jews, save us from Johnson, the king of the fuse. Johnson of the fuse was a notorious landlord and... Uh, uh, and I regret to say that my, my uh, maternal grandmother uh, uh, was a South Armagh woman called Frances Johnson. But before I you throw me out of the bus, Michael Murphy, who doesn't live too far away, assures me she was not one of those Johnsons. I should hope not. But she, she, had, a, she had a nice story about just before we're coming into Katie here. She, she had this tale about... Uh, um, Presbyterian clergyman was, was reading out the you know the way they read out the first lines of the, the hymns and he got up and he sort of said he was pre- presenting in fact yeah oh, well no no he was he was speaking it out before oh, he I sang see. oh I see uh, and he said um, who are those in white array and somebody in the church got up and said friends of mine from Cady <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, coming into Cady Cady of course the, the place named Cady Cadu and Cady it means simply a plateau uh, Cady Katie, there's a song about this place. Ben, uh, ben Lua. Oh, there is indeed, yes. The, 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 um, the Greenmore Hare. It's a lovely song, actually. It's a hunting song, but it's not a, a red-coated hunting song. No, it's, ah. it's, it's fellas going out with dogs. Oh, uh, right. And there's lots of songs in this type in, in, in South Armagh, up into Tyrone. There's an awful lot of those songs. On last Saturday morning, our horns they did blow. To the green hills round Tassa, our huntsmen did go. Or to meet the bull sportsman from round Kitty Town. None love that sport better than the boys from Maydown. And when we arrived, they were all standing there. So we took to the green fields in search of a hare. We did not go far when someone gave a cheer. 
Over high hills and valleys, this puss she did steer. Well, then they, they chase the, the pussy and, and they capture her eventually. She's just eaten to bits. But before she dies, she... Um, well, pussy, of course, is a, a hare. That's the colloquial term. But before she dies, the, the puss says... I blame on McMahon for bringing coil here. For he's at the same caper this many's a year. Every Saturday and Sunday he'll ne'er give it o'er. With a pack of strange dogs round the hills of Greenmoor. In fact, it's a, an anti-hunting song. Indeed, I was going to say it shows some compassion, at least for the hare. Coming to Armagh, Ordmacha, which is of course the ecclesiastical capital of Ireland, uh, and uh, even before Patrick built his church here, uh, Armagh, near to Ordmacha, there was Avinmacha, which was the capital of the kings of Ulster and one of the high places of Ireland, uh, the centre, of course, of the Cuchulain saga here in Avin. Avon now is deserted, and even its name has been corrupted to being uh, uh, to various corruptions from the poetic Amania, Amania to the Navan Fort. Uh, there, there are no uh, remains there now. No remains as such, really. There, but it's a tremendous site in itself. I would reckon it to be all of twelve acres, which is quite a, a sizable chunk of land, and uh, it is a very evocative place, somewhat like Tara, in that. When you climb it, you get this sense and stillness of history and the presence of ages past and of dead men gone by. The famous, the warriors of Erin and their famous generations. Slumber there, as in Clonmac noise. Uh, the word I pick on there and in what Michael said was stillness, that ancient and infinite peace that you find in Tara and on the hill of Ushna and here too. Of course, in later times, uh, Armagh was far from being a silent place. Indeed, it has been a place of great contention. Uh, from the earliest times because even uh, the, the monks of Armagh um, went to enormous lengths to establish the primacy of uh, the sea here. And modern Armagh, of course, has been, as I say, the site of many contentions through the centuries. And, but it's a busy, a very busy place because I think the first thing that strikes you about Armagh is it's, uh, what a thriving market town it is. Well, it's the centre of a tremendously rich area, you know, and, it, it, and, and the central position in the north, uh, dominating a great agricultural area. And, uh, of course, it is a place, too, where the arts and sciences have flourished. Uh, how, uh, how old is, the, is most of the building here, would you say, Sean? Well, of course, you have the original ring of Armagh in, in the cathedral area, in the Protestant cathedral area, with the ring of streets all around, which is the old Irish Celtic fort centre. Now, on top of that was placed uh, a very fine 18th century town by two, uh, principally the work of two successive Protestant primates, uh, um, Primate Robinson and Private John George Beresford, uh, at the end of the 18th century and early 19th century. And the only parallel I can think of here is a city like Salzburg, because these Protestant primates were really prince bishops. They were justices and they were bishops at the same time, and both of them happened to be bachelors and uh, evidently didn't have to spend their money on their families, so they spent a great deal on the decoration of the town. 
and they encouraged a number of architects. Uh, Thomas Cooley's was Robinson's favourite architect, who built for him the very fine library. And then a native Armagh architect, Francis Johnson. Of whom we uh, heard when we, we went through Slane, yes. Well, everything, we might say everything new and distinguished in Armagh is Francis Johnson. The market house, which we're just passing, the uh, county courthouse, the jail, the ar- observatory, and uh, some of the work at the Archbishop's Palace, the um, Primate's Chapel, a very beautiful piece of neo-Greek architecture. These are all done by Johnson. The cathedral, the Protestant cathedral itself, of course, is in its essence the original medieval building, but it's been done over by very many people, and finally by an English uh, restorer in inverted commas called Cottingham, who absolutely devastated the building in his 19th century restoration, getting rid of a great deal of the medieval sculpture and dissipating it all over the place and casing it in a rather noxious-looking red stone. I'm not quite sure what it is, but the whole effect is a rather dreadful uh, travesty of a medieval building. And when was the Catholic Cathedral built? The Catholic Cathedral started before the famine uh, under an architect called Thomas Duff, uh, who also built St. Coleman's in Newry. The uh, work stopped with the famine, and then the J.J. McCarthy, known as the Pugin of Ireland, a pupil of Pugin's, took over and I think make an absolutely excellent job of it. He took Duff's original and rather unambitious plan and did a very fine gothic job with tall gothic towers. The unfortunate point here this terrible thing that happened to Irish Catholic ecclesiastical taste, that when they wanted to do the interior, they sent for artists from Italy who produced a rather desperate travesty between 1900 and 1910. Well, I haven't seen the inside of the cathedral since uh, it, the sanctuary has been remodelled uh, in the light of the um, recent liturgical reforms. Yeah. We're stopping here in Armagh for a few minutes and we're welcoming on board Sean O'Boyle, Sean O'Boyle, uh, uh, Sean, I think you know everybody. You know uh, Michael Ahern and, of course, Sean White. Uh, Sean Canan. And uh, Sean Canan, by the way, has been the silent member of the team up till now because he's been looking after the works. And, of course, Bill Meek, you know, and Ben Kiley, you know. Ahern, how did you stop you and show? I guess that's all And so there we leave until a minute past eight on next Sunday night, the bus to Coleraine. Good evening. Good evening. This evening's programme records the second leg of a journey made to Coleraine last Thursday week on the new CIE Express bus. Benedict Kiley, Bill Meek, Michael Ahern and Sean White were with me from Dublin and at Armagh we were joined by Sean O'Boyle. Armagh is in fact the halfway house on the trip and provided us with a natural break, as it were, on which to end last Sunday's programme. So once again we set off, uh, this time with Mr Hawthorne of Ulster Bus at the helm on the bus to Coleraine. And this time Sean White starts the chat going. about uh, the various buildings that Francis Johnson built here and indeed this school of architecture under the patronage of the two primates Robinson and John George Beresford and the uh, 
final piece, that uh, elegant row of Georgian houses that Sean was referring to, were actually built by William Murray, Francis Johnson's nephew. So it, it became, as it were, a, a kind of family school of architecture. Johnson, of course, afterwards went south and built notable buildings in Dublin, like the GPO and the, uh, some of the hospitals around town and the um, Trinity Church, the Castle Church. St. George's Church and up George's there. Church, of course, yes. A yeah. lovely little place up yes. there in the north but of the city. He is, I would think, our most distinguished native Irish architect. Ah, yes, and very definitely, I mean, I think one can speak very properly of an, of Irish classical architecture. Yeah. I, I, I feel that it is most unfortunate that the word Georgian ever was adopted yeah. in reference to this. You'd agree, John? I'd agree entirely. Yes. Well, Georgian is only a name, and I think people must get used to things. No, I am referring names, to yeah. the fact that 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 the Irish school shows uh, some distinguished distinguishing marks in its architecture, just as Irish Gothic. It is possible to speak Absolutely. of Irish Gothic yes. in, in an earlier period, uh, yes, as say Holy Cross no, Abbey. No one, this is this. Oh, no one objects to Irish Gothic. You must get used to Irish Georgian. Well, then if you say Irish Georgian, yeah. but, it, but it, it does tend, the use of the word Georgian tends to lump it all together. And anyway, in, in the case of Ireland, the term is inaccurate because uh, the, the style persists down almost to about 1850, you yeah, see. It well, goes very, very far in. In fact, uh, long after Victorian architecture was uh, the normal thing in England, uh, Dublin was building in the classical or Georgian yes. style, for example. But now, listen, I feel that uh, while that is yep. fascinating, yep. John, we must return way, to Armagh, sure. and as we, we're leaving the town uh, well, of Armagh now... There's one point I'd like to come into it, Sean, on this. Uh, there's a very fine statue by Rubaiyak of uh, Molino in the cathedral. Yes. Beautiful yep. thing, and a really wonderful statue. In which cathedral? In the Church of Ireland cathedral. Yes, yeah. here in, in Armagh. But now we're leaving Armagh town itself, now, this bit of country that we're going into now, Sean, what's yes. it generally known as? Like, what would you call it here? Oh, well, we call this the Mai Road. We're going to the Mai, yes. the famous horse fair, you know. It was a world-famous horse fair. We'll be out in that direction. Will we be going through the Mai on our way? We will. And yes. I'll tell you another thing, too. We'll be going right between two famous Irish battles. There's a battle uh, fought on our right-hand side here, uh, and there's a big milk factory... Uh, nearly on the site of uh, Belenabui. Oh, Belenabui, uh, the, the, yellow, the yellow four. Yes, yes. and, and on, on our left hand side, of course, we'll have Ben Burb uh, and yes. Storied Blackwater. Aye, yes. Yeah, was by Ben Burb and Storied Blackwater. <laughs> where old, oh, well, of course, yes, go on, go on. Where old what did it, what did it all do? Uh, Matt Monroe and his chieftains did slaughter. That's from up to the bower, yeah. That's up the road. So Ben Burb on the left, uh, the RV, right. the yellow ford on the right. Ben, Kylie, you were coming well, in there. Well, I was just about to say that this Blackwater country, for me the Blackwater dominates all this area from its origins back in the Clogher Valley, which I mentioned with permission. <laughs> you do uh, occasionally, <laughs> yes, uh, right, <laughs> right down Does it really it. exist, Ben? It does exist, <laughs> right yeah, down, down to Omi. Yeah, <laughs> until the river joins the lake at, at Mahari. Uh, uh, ben, ben Burb, which Sean mentioned, the place of the battle, a most tremendous river gorge there at Ben Burb, and to me one of the most uh, striking river views in Ireland, apart even from its historic associations. But this is black waterland, as I say, the river mix makes all this area. Uh, yes, and indeed, uh, as we go through here, 
Oh, indeed, we're being, there's some sort of hold up here. It's a, is it a military, military check? check. Military it is indeed. It is indeed. Military but check. listen, uh, we, while we wait here, I'd like to go back again to this uh, uh, thing about the two, the two battlegrounds here, the yes. Yellow Ford and Ben Burb, because... I'd like to say, uh, as Sean O'Boyle here, uh, I was told in uh, our museum that you could still see uh, signs of the cavalry pits that were dug by O'Neill's men. Oh, yes, that's quite true. That's quite true. true. Oh, yes, I've seen them, actually. Yes. Where is this now? Uh, in uh, Ben Burb. It's over here, yes, yes, at the Battle of Ben Burb. You see, O'Neill dug, the, his men dug huge holes so that uh, the cavalry, would, the English cavalry, would fall in when they charged. Yeah. And uh, these were supposed to be still here. But what surprises me is the whole character of the area has changed since uh, 1646, and that then this was a very marshy land, but drainage and everything has uh, changed it, and it is now a very fertile hills and valley. Oh, there's no doubt about that. You can see it all from the surveyed priory in Ben Burb. Uh, they'll give you a view of the whole battle area. Well, I've been in the survey priory, yes. and uh, I mean, and a lovely place it is. And, and indeed, it might be mentioned as a place which oh, yeah, uh, the, uh, is uh, has restored, uh, as has renewed our the tradition of not alone piety but learning yes, in the area because it's a place which has, um, as you know, been uh, offered patronage to poets and writers in uh, recent years. I've just got a copy of their magazine yes. which has just been issued. Yes, uh, I don't like the change in their title. They call it Aquarius now. Yes, I think it's rather ridiculous. Yes. Don't you think yes, so? Yes. Well, anyway, we, yes. Uh, there's a slight detail occurs to me. Sean O'Gwill, what is the name of that little place here? Uh, which one? This just to our right. Is this Achatar? Oh, uh, you can see the uh, chimney of uh, the Tullygunigan Onyha, uh, the, the uh, Tullygunigan Milk Factory, and it is uh, said to be on the exact site, or very near the exact site of the Battle of uh, the Yellow Ford. Yes. Listen, where is, uh, in this area, since we're here, Dobbin's Flowery Vale, of which one has heard? Oh, we've left that behind. Have we? Well, listen, oh, Bill, you surely have the song. I, I don't want to leave Armagh without hearing the song. Where was Dobbin's Flowery Vale? It was just this side of Armagh, was it? No, 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 it's the other it's side. The other side. It was the town. It was, the seat. It, was the, it was the home place of, of a member of Parliament. Well, listen, Dobbin, before, right? before yeah. we go too far away from it, would you give us a bar of it, Bill? Yeah, I suppose this is the great song from Armagh, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's a generously sung of city, but this is the great one, I think. It, it is, is, surely. One morning fair as Phoebus bright, her radiant smiles displayed. When Flora in her virgin garb, the fragrant plains arrayed. As I did rove throughout each grove, no care did me assail. When a pair I spied by riverside In Dobbin's flowery vale As I sat down them to behold Beneath a spreading tree The limpid streams that gently rolled Conveyed these words to me Farewell, sweet maid, the youth, he said for now I must set sail. I'll bid adieu to Arma, you, on Dobbin's flurry Vale. Oh, <laughs> very good. My who? Sean, you were, I think ah, there was yes. another version of the last line sung in Arma itself. Oh, there was. Some uh, discontented poet one time didn't get as much recognition as they thought he would get. 
And he said, And to hell with you and Arma too, and Dobbins Flurryville. <laughs> John White. If I may get in on uh, an architectural note here, Francis Johnson's best house in Armagh he built for the Dobbin family. It's now the Bank of Ireland. It's one of the most elegant houses in Armagh. And, and, and Michael Ahern. Coming back to Armagh again, I mean, there are two very good museums there. Uh, I mean, there's yeah. a civic museum in which you can see uniforms of the 98 men and of the volunteers as well. And then there's the military museum, which is interesting. Uh, yes, that's quite true. Uh, Mr. Patterson, a man uh, for whom we have the greatest respect, he died recently, God rest him. And he was the man who started our first county museum, and I believe it was the first county museum in Ireland. And it's and still the best one that I know of. So I believe. So I believe. Yeah. And uh, mind you, talking about uh, that aspect of Armagh, uh, one mustn't also forget that on the learning, as distinct from the piety side, uh, there is surely there's the observatory and, and uh, the planetarium. The planetarium, it's a very fine thing, and I think it's worth mentioning that they make special arrangements for school children to visit it in groups, and my own children have visited it. Oh, yes. Uh, the school children go very, very often. And adults in the evening too. Yes. Uh, it's a, a most interesting place to be in. It certainly took my breath away the first time I saw the sky on the roof of a house. Well, this is the thing that I, I sensed about Armagh and both the, the planetarium and the observatory, that they just don't happen to be, as it were, in Armagh, that they are part of Armagh. Of course they are. Of course they are. Uh, Bill Mead. I can't, but can anyone quote uh, Bertie Rogers' lovely poem in Armagh? I can't quote it, but I just thought that we should raise our hats in passing. We are within three miles of where he was a Presbyterian minister. Apart from its, shall we say, other associations, it has the associations with Bertie Rogers. And I was at his uh, at uh, his burying. I was when when his ashes were laid in the grounds of his church in Cloven Eden. What does incidentally with that name mean, Cloven Eden? I wonder, do you have any... Cloven Eden? Yes. Uh, I haven't the foggiest. I hate to be asked a question like that just on the spur of the Uh, moment, Chad. The the Cloven part uh, is a thing that, and and in fact, it's something, if there's any onomasticist listening who would would, uh, suggest it... Would Cloven be Cleowen? Well, no, I, uh, I should mention as we're passing these lovely uh, orchards here, which are at their loveliest this time of the year. Oh, well, the and also, let me say this in um, in the autumn, because many of the time I've bought uh, splendid boxes of apples here very cheaply, which they sell by the side of the road. May we all stand up? We are now in County Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> through the M1 roundabout, crossing the M1, which runs from where, Sean? It uh, runs from uh, Belfast to Dungannon. Will we actually be on it on our journey at all? No, we'll miss it. It's yeah. just uh, over there to our right. But we are coming now into Dungannon, or in a moment or two we'll be there, and of course Dungannon uh, was one of the great uh, um, 
strongholds of the O'Neill. Oh, I always think of Hugh O'Neill coming back here from the English court and being welcomed by the uh, pipers and the, uh, he came at night and being welcomed by the men with the torchlight procession. And I don't know if any of you remember John Ford's film of Mary, Queen of Scots, when she comes back to Scotland from France. And there's this tremendous scene of the pipers and all, and the yeah, men with the staves in light. That was in Dun Scotland, Dun yes, yeah. And it, it, it must always evoked like something it like, like that, that, that indeed. and evoked his Irishness in turn. Uh, talking of such processions reminds me that two miles to our right is Killy Man, where the first big drummers came from that I ever heard. Uh, they were playing in my native town and they were known as the Killyman Rattlers. Uh, their ancestors came in here shortly after the Great O'Neill left for foreign parts. Rather interesting. I didn't. Yes, Bill? Well, I was about to say that the talk of the O'Neill and, and, and of Rattlers, uh, uh, at my peril, I, I'll tell you that, that the first meet to set foot in, in, in Ireland was uh, the first military governor of, of Dungannon, and his son, in fact, was, was killed in the 1641 Rising. Uh, I see. Well, he, was a, he, he was a man. He actually before that he he, he was a Cornish man and, and uh, fought. Oh, he was he now? Yeah. Yes, I mean, he was some class of a Celt probably <laughs> and, then. But fought in the Battle of the Armada, which I suppose is not its credit either. Aye. Uh, but he was uh, uh, at least th- there was a good drop there somewhere. But I I must say, by the way, uh, in order to take the, the the harm out of what Bill has already told us uh, earlier about his uh, uh, ancestry and uh, and particularly now is that he's also a collateral descendant of Henry Joy McCracken's. That uh, takes some and, of the harm out of it. And that, that, that makes up for a lot. Uh, uh, you were going to say, Sean, there? About I was going to say that, unfortunately, uh, or perhaps fortunately, Dungannon is hardly associated with a Neil at all now. It's associated with an Earl Orange flute. Oh, indeed. <laughs> yes, uh, indeed. Where many's the ruction, myself, had a hand. Yes. That's quite true. There's, there's, people are raised, there's another song... Um, from just down the road, uh, a mile or two down the road, is Stewartstown. From Aye. from the other side of things, I'll give you just a wee bit of it. It's a, kind of a faction fight song, uh, sung to a tune that's more often associated with with, with Irish songs. In fact, July the twelfth at Stewartstown, most awful to relate. The orange men assembled their vile deeds to complete. Our holy altars to abuse, our chapels to destroy. Those tyrants they collected round Cookstown and the Moy. I see. Cookstown and the Moy, that's Cookstown. a big district, I'm telling you. Uh, yes. That's, uh, they, they, yes, um, going through Dungannon as we are at the moment, these houses, these very sort of heavily uh, neo-Gothic houses, Sean, when did they... Uh, they're late Victorian lot, but you notice uh, they're built on to a rather pleasant 18th century terrace. Yeah. Started off there, uh, associated, of course, Dungannon was... Uh, quite a manufacturing town. <laughs> Do you know, Shannon, if I took you out for about two ticks, I could show you the initials of a very famous young man cut out on the windowsill of an hotel here. And KB, Kevin Barry. Aye. Kevin Barry's initials are cut out on the windowsill of Magalier's Hotel here in the square. And I wonder what was the occasion? Uh, well, of course, uh, the... Magaliers, a young lad belonging to Magalier, was very friendly with Kevin himself. And Kevin came here uh, on a visit. Uh, and uh, being a young fella, cut out his initials. There it is, KB, written for anyone to see. This is O'Neill's uh, 
place above yeah, here. Yes, yes, just above yes, here yes. where the tower is, but the tower has yes. nothing to do with O'Neill. Yes, I did pay uh, my pilgrimage there once. Yeah. It must be said, of course, that we mustn't forget that the Earl of Charlemont, who has so many associations with uh, the volunteers, came from here and that they're all buried over there in the Armagh Church of Ireland Cathedral. And many fine monuments there are to them. Uh, coming uh, through here reminds me that, of course, again, uh, we're in an area where the Gaelic tradition uh, continued to flourish uh, much later than people uh, realise. After all, there is still living Irish, native Irish in the county Tyrone, above in the Spurns. There's a little of it, and my colleague Princess O'Conlowen uh, recorded some of it there a few years ago. Yes. Uh, and Sean, sure, yes. uh, is, uh, are we anywhere near um, Karen Shield? Of course you are. It's out there in the Pomeroy direction. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, they tell me that it was written by a man from Donoghmore. When you say it was written, are you referring to the Ballad of the Chakran? Oh, yes, of course I am. We call it Rake Carnchil. Rake Carnchil. Carnchil Rake. Have you a bar of it yourself? You have. Uh, I may have a bar. Uh, it's one of the one of the, the, the seminal Ulster songs, indeed, I yes, know that. And um, uh, hold it for a second there now, Sean, because I know I see Ben was coming in there with a no. with, with a piece of wisdom to us. No, I'd only meant to say that in my school days in Oma, there were I think one hundred old people still speaking Irish in Glenlark, and Pather Hathi at Craig and Cross in the mountains over to our left. There, um, it was a rather interesting example of how a language dies. In fact, Pather spoke Irish. His uh, wife and I think four daughters understood but didn't speak but they, they got along in a bilingual conversation and they also they would all sit together in a long form and sing macaronic songs but it was the last glimmers of a language dying I see Jean Aubuil has dug out his uh, book of the words indeed a wee book that he himself is responsible for in uh, which he brought out in collaboration with Redmond Freel of Derry and Judy Devaney Eo Devaney uh, and which a very useful and big up Carl <laughs> Some while you call, he's a listener ski. Maybe when you hang, because they're a garanchi, they drink it cool, I nail the carrows plain. Rare a harley and rickadama, so knock the tama for harnchill. So nishmas rain letter air a file me, shall allow it be a material. Oh, there he can. Uh, on or on, and I think about the song there uh, that I, uh, this, the, this, uh, uh, picaresque ballad of a type that we know the, uh, there are many such in Irish and in English the, the, the rambling lad the, the, the spalpeen who, the, the fellow who went about the country and got to know everybody and uh, the, jack of all got to, uh, the jack of all trades uh, uh, but um, a point here in the last verse the number of place names now Munyamore, the Munyamore where's Munyamore? Well that's Munyamore oh. we'll be going through Munyamore actually Aye and Kaislan Kaba. Kaislan uh, Kaba. Uh, I believe that should be Kaislan Caulfield. That's Castle Caulfield. Uh, yes. You know about that one. Yes. 
Charles Moore, the uh, author, or Charles Wolf, the author of the burial of Sir John Moore, was a curate there for a number of years in Castle Caulfield. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. And then Ballygally, that's Ballygally. Then, uh, once again, in the Clower Valley. <laughs> one of the five towns of the Clower Valley. And then, uh, way off our route, Lisnaski. Yeah. Uh, so he was a, he was a, quite a travelling man. And then Munahan, which we know, and the Grange. Now, what Grange, what Grange would that be, I wonder? Well, that. Uh, it's rather difficult to suppose. There's a Grange in Armagh, I know. Could be that one. Yes, and outside Derry City, too. Aye. Oh, oh. <laughs> Indeed, and yeah. there's a few of them and down at the... Grand, uh, uh, Grand oh, Moat, down there somewhere. And Dred Coolanya. Coolanya, Coolanya, Coolanya. Bridge. Where's that? You don't know? Well, now there we... They, don't, none, of our, none of our experts know where Coolanya Bridge is. Uh, I'm surprised that she... I was just going to ask someone... Carry man. No, 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 I want a bit of information <laughs> Well, before we finish that, we come to that... There's, there's I, one point I would like to make, and I'm going to make it if I burst, in spite of Michael Hearn here, is that Rehrehala and Rehrehame. Now, Rehrehala is regarded as part of Ulster in this. It's oh, part yeah. of the same country. Drogheda, and Drogheda occurs, of course, also in the, in, um, in uh, Padro Derning's verse. Yeah, so, half uh, of yes, the dances of Armagh. Yes, and it's part of Ulster, and of course also it was part of the of this Gwelth. It was one of the, the market towns of the of this of this Gwelth down into the 19th century, as was of course Dundalk, which was then just known as the Strad Valley. Yes, and known always to the native speakers of Omeed as the Strad Valley. You were about to say... Yeah, uh, well, that they have their own forms of Turkish bats or sonobats up here called sweat houses, and I was going to ask these northern gentlemen, have they ever come across any of them? Yeah, uh, Sean White was not a northern gentleman, but... Yeah. Well, the one I most remember was on Rathlin Island. Yeah, there are some here in yeah, this county, I've never seen them. They were used uh, quite commonly in Rattlin Island, well up into the 19th century, because Rattlin people, one of the ways they made their living was burning kelp, and this apparently has the effect of blackening your skin. And the young ladies of Rattlin, before they went to the old Lamas Fair at Ballycastle, visited the sweat house and gave themselves a beauty treatment before they went to to Ireland, as they say in Rattlin. Indeed, and, and rightly so. Uh, they're, they're, they're always thought as a northern thing, and I think most of them are northern, but me good friend and neighbour, the archaeologist Brandon O'Reardown, actually uh, came across one in the county Tipperary, which was most unusual. I see. Uh, and uh, well, That was after the hurling. <laughs> <laughs> now, there, an interesting, uh, the actual architecture is rather interesting. They're a clohon, really, the same as the old Irish clohons. They're built of the corbel principle of a, a beehive of stone Aye. covered over with sods to keep Aye. in the heat, and they put in a fire of furze bushes which absolutely heated up the chamber, and then the person, these were pulled out, the person went in and sweated out, and immediately went outside, and there was always a pool or stream associated. So, in fact, it's an Irish sauna bath. As a matter of fact, once again, it's a landlord designed town, that long straight Alan, street. You know. Alan, Cook. Alan Cook. Alan Cook was the original planter, and he designed the town. The, it's a mile and a quarter long, this very wide street, and uh, very much a, a typical Ulster planter town. Oh, yeah, plenty of uh, square miles yeah. to use. Of course, the first houses that Cook built here when he laid out the town were made of, uh, probably were thatched, and were probably made of 
wattle or timber and bricks, uh, t timber and brick the best houses, and the others of earth. Uh, but uh, as, you, as you go down, you'll see some of the ones the rest of the 18th century restorations. But talking about the church, the Catholic church, there are um, interesting point architecturally, the point of difference. Uh, I think it's best exemplified perhaps in uh, Ben's town in Oma. Uh, usually the Protestant church is in Planters Gothic, as it was of the time. Church of Ireland church. Church of Ireland church. Yeah. The Catholic church, built post-Reformation, goes in for a rather flamboyant French Gothic. And here you have it again. You get the French, the Normandy French Gothic on the one hand, and a rather simple and nice vernacular planters Gothic. I mean, if you're talking about architectural honesty, in actually the Church of Ireland building is usually the far more honest building and less flamboyant. Of course. Because it is the part of uh, a suppressed people, uh, I suppose, tends to go break out a little in imitative and somewhat bad taste. Uh, in imitative and exuberant bad taste. Yeah. Uh, there are, of course, places which still are lucky enough to have pre-Reformation uh, churches, very often cruciform churches. Uh, the, the phrase burn church was used, yeah, and of course, these are. Yeah, it's Bill Meek. Yeah, I was just wondering uh, into the scheme of things how you, how you would fit the Presbyterian neoclassical oh, yeah. style. Well, they are a very interesting example because actually they are the barn churches of Ulster, as you already mentioned. I mean, right up along this road, you see some absolutely beautiful churches. They have uh, a neoclassic format but they're done by local carpenters and masons that gives them a very much of-the-soil look about them. And uh, Ballanderry, in fact, has a notable one dating from the uh, early, quite early 17th century. But just while we're on the architecture road, there is one building here that should be taken note of, a new building, the Convent of Mercy Church here, 1966 by Lawrence McConville, that has some excellent new work by liturgical artists like Patrick McElroy, who has done the evangelist there, and also by Michael Biggs and Stations of the Cross by Brother Benedict Tully. It's a, a, a very good example, I think, of the use of good modern liturgical artists. Indeed. Yes. Talking of the of the boulderization of place names, uh, uh, perhaps the worst in Ireland there, I just saw the signpost pointing to, to Draperstown, which of course is, uh, is bad on the screen. Bad on the screen. With a, with a, uh, As I went out on a May morning, by the verdant breeze, a screen to put my back on a mossy tree to view the dew of the west country, the dew of a forest green. Have you another verse of it? A lad I spied by Burnside. With a lass neath an alder tree Her lips were like the very brown rose And she all win and want to see And she all want to see Now sit ye down on the grass, he said On the dewy grass so green For the small birds they have come and gone Since I my true love seen, she said since I my true love seen Oh, I'll not sit on the grass, she said No lover I'll be of thine 
for I hear you love a lurking lass, and your heart's no longer mine, she said, and your heart's no longer mine. Oh, I'll not heed what an old man says, for his days are nearly done, and I'll not heed what a young man says, for he's fair to money's a one, she said, for he's fair to money's a one, and I will climb the highest tree. And I'll rob a wild bird's nest And I'll bring back what I find there To the one I love the best, he said To the one I love the best Good man, Bill. Lovely song. A lovely song, a lovely tune, and I, if I'm not mistaken, a very old tune. I think so. Shan would know a little bit more about that. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, uh, it probably is, uh, but it, it's influenced, like a lot of other things in Ulster, by the English tradition. Yes, yes. yes. And uh, the it song itself, uh, I think, originated from an English love song. And, of course, uh, Ballinascrina, Draperstown and Ballinascrina remind me once again of a man whose memory we must salute in passing as we saluted the memory of Bertie Rogers earlier on, and that's of Cahill O'Shannon, who came from Ballinascrina. Ah. And who came from Ballinascrina when there was Irish in Ballinascrina. Good man, Callum. singing uh, that beautiful song there a moment ago we missed uh, something on uh, which I wasn't looking at but uh, Michael Hearn caught out of the corner of his eye well we didn't quite pass it but I just mentioned it early Killamoon Castle or uh, I suppose more properly mentioned the, the interesting thing about it is it was designed by John Nash and uh, there's all too little of his work in Ireland and some of it unfortunately is being knocked down or has been knocked down our great shame. Don't you agree, Sean? Yes, I do very much. Nash, of course, we were talking about uh, the Prince Regent, Prinny, earlier. Nash is a rather untypical figure to think of in Ireland at all. You think of him in reference to Regent Street and the Brighton Pavilion and so on. But in fact, he did quite an amount of work for Irish landlords, including for Colonel Stewart here. He built his first great Irish house was Killymoon Castle, which fortunately still survives. He also built uh, Kilwalker Castle in Larne and the fine house of Rockingham above the lake, above Loch Key, which has been burned and uh, there is a threat that it be demolished. But I think one of his greatest houses uh, is Loch Cootra in uh, County Galway, near Gort, which has been very faithfully restored by uh, the lady of the house there, who is descendant of the first Lord Gort, the owner of the house, and is now uh, open to visitors. 
did, uh, did uh, I didn't, wasn't aware that Nash did Lockhoot, but did he do the stables and all? It's a tremendous uh, house. Yes, he did the whole complex of Lockhoot. He designed it, sent the design over, and to execute it, he sent over two masons, two brothers, the brothers James and George Payne, who in turn built Dromolin Castle, Johnstown Castle, and most of the important buildings in Cork. We must, I must gently but firmly bring you back to our route. Uh, <laughs> uh, and talk, James and George reminded me of a lovely juxtaposition I noticed as we came through, uh, was it Cookstown? Cookstown. Uh, James Street and William Street. One to the south, one to the north. When you mentioned Sean Cahill O'Shannon, uh, Sean, it reminded me of Glancon Kine, which lies over to our left in the mist in the high spirons, which, of course, is where Hugh O'Neill went after Kinsale. I would say striking the river about where Newton Stewart is now, going right up the Glenelly Valley into the fastnesses of the mountains. In between ourselves and Glanconcaine, which has, apart from Hugh O'Neill, a wonderful mythology, there is, of course, Sleeve Gallion, with its ballad associations. Uh, Sleeve Gallion, what's the derivation there, Sean? Well, I don't know. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Sleeve Gallon, I call it, uh, and that would rather confuse any attempt I would make at uh, derivation. Sleeve Gallon, I call Gallon, it. you heard I've it. always yeah. heard Sleeve Gallon. Think Alan Braes. Um, well, the word is Callan, presumably the, Callan, the, the G yes. being after the neuter Schlieve, I suppose. Uh, yes, that's it, Callan. Yes, that's like Schlieve Gua in, in Waterford, yes. Yes. Oh, I think it's one of these uh, pagan names. Pre Celtic, probably. No, pre Celtic. Well, certainly pre Gaelic or pre Vidalic, yes. Yes, quite. Well, the song is a great song. Um, uh, uh, Sean, uh, Bill, you have that. There's, there's, there's no, uh, a number of songs, actually. I mean, there is the great one, but there's, there's other lesser known ones. Welshly, Gallon Braze. In fact, a lovely two, song. How does that go? That? How I don't know if it's. Have you heard it at all, Sean? Uh, I have heard it. I wish to goodness I knew the tune. Uh, because it gives you all the names of the places that a poet would see from. Sleeve Gallon. Have you a bit he of it? He looks down in the loch. Uh, I'm afraid not. Maybe Bill no, I, I, I don't have it. Then there's, there's another one, of, another emigration song, which is like the famous one, which they, the only thing about it is a marvellous line. Uh, it goes, For six long months I searched for work. I wandered far and near, till at length I joined the Navy. This was the American Navy, as an Irish volunteer. No wonder on my wasted cheek I feel the blush of shame to think I backed the stars and stripes against the sons of Spain. Oh, very ah. nice. But, of course, very the famous... The famous oh, the Spanish-American War, of the course. Spanish-American War. Before we come to the song, we've just held up for a moment here in... what? Where are we? Mahara, isn't it? Mahara now. There's Mahara, Mahara, which is... Is it just Mahara? Is it just... Mahara, Mahara? Yeah, yeah. of the Of the Ford. Oh, Mahara, oh, oh yes, Mahara. And then, what is Mahara felt? Some people used to tell us that the name was Mahara Fuigidye which had something to do with the plane of the rushes. But uh, Father Devlin, who knows all about this, uh, says that the name is Mahara Fuizje. And it's Fielte, yeah, yeah, the town, the Fielte's town. Fuizje. Yes, yes. Tia, of course, the town that, yeah. Bill, before I show further ignorance, I think it's time we heard uh, the song, that is the Shri uh, of Galen Bray's song. I'll give you a verse, because I, I want to say something about Castle Dawson, too, which we're nearly into... Uh, um, uh, as I went out one morning, all in the month of May, to view all your mountains and valleys so gay, I was thinking of the flowers, all a going to decay, not bloom around your bunny, bunny. Slave gallon braes, full of 
of times I have wandered with me dog and me gun to view all your mountains and valleys for fun. But those days they now are flown and I am far away. So farewell unto your bonny, bonny, My name is Young McGarvey, as you will understand. I have a small farm and it's very good land. But the rents are getting higher and I can no longer stay. So farewell unto ya, bunny, bunny. Isn't he um, a mo- sorry? Isn't he um, a mo- sorry? Sorry, I, I was just in. Uh, yes. This flashes by. I see we're passing through Castle Dawson, which of course is the the seat of uh, Mr. Or Major Jimmy Chichester, Do- uh, James Dawson Chichester Clark. Yes. And yes. I often wondered, was he is he related to Baron Dawson, who wrote the famous uh, um, Bumper Squire Jones, which Carolyn put oh. music to? Because oh. Bumper Squire Jones lived just down the road at Money Glass. Money Glass. That's what I was going to say. Uh, he possibly could be, but I know he is related also to the Clarks. Everybody knows that, and allegedly to the O'Neills, uh-huh. O'Neills of Shane Castle. Uh, he is the landlord around here, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yes. Come hither, I'll show ye how Phyllis and Chloe no more shall occasion such sighs and such groans for what mortal so stupid as not to quit Cupid when called by good claret and bumper Squire Jones. Oh, a song in that great tradition of the the, the Radamantide song, yes. Uh, uh, Wasn't Castle Dawson, I think, also the seat of the illegal bull that Seamus Heaney wrote the poem about? Because yet another poet, Seamus, comes from down the road here towards Bellapi. So, uh, a country prolific in... In poets. In poets, indeed. Uh, the United Irishmen were very strong in this area, by the way. There was a Watty Graham here who was hung uh, in, uh, before the Church of St. Laura in Mahara. Oh, in Mahara. Uh, is that a fact? Yes. Were the United Men, is there much of a tradition of the United Men uh, still preserved, Sean? Here in this particular part of the country? Uh, well, of course, uh, you know, from here to Tomb and all around there, we have plenty of songs about the activities of the United Men. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, what did you call that uh, lad from Toom? Roddy McCarley. Roddy McCarley. Every old country knows about Roddy McCarley. That's a fact, of yes. course. But what I would like to know is this. Are there songs surviving which are of the time? Are there contemporary songs surviving? Because, you know, Bill... Bill ben, Mich- ben, ben has a very good one on that, on, on Roddy McCarley. Well, there is an original old ballad. I don't know, Billy, what did that would uh, come from. I got the words the day that Father Devlin, the friend of most of us, uh, unveiled the monument to Rody McCorley in Tombridge. This, the boys in the pub were singing Ethna Carberry's ballad, which we all know. And this old man said to me, uh, there's an older song. I said, have you the words? So he ran a little boy home for, to get the words for him and came back with the old ballad. Uh, Colin O'Loughlin afterwards put it in his book. Uh, Come tender-hearted Christians, all attention to me pay till I relate these verses, read these verses two or three concerning of a noble youth who was cut off in his bloom and died upon the gallows tree near to the bridge of Toom. It gives you the actual documentation on the whole business, particularly in one verse. Uh, uh, Farewell unto you, sweet Drumall, if in you I had stayed, 
Among the Presbyterians I would not have been betrayed. The gallows tree I'd ne'er have seen had I remained there. For Dufferin you betrayed me, Macarlane you laid the snare. It also struck me as most interesting, almost you might say inevitable perhaps, in this part of the country, that the priest who, who stood at the scaffold with Rody was also a Father Devlin, the same name as the man who um, unveiled the memorial to him. Uh, very good. Uh, a remarkable thing about that version uh, that Benedict has just uh, quoted for us uh, is that in 1951, just 20 years ago, I was down in a town called Ballymacquigan on the shores of the loch here, and I asked the man for his song about Ballymacquigan uh, by he said, oh, I'm not singing for you. Because there's a lot of people rather high on the head and tomb the day who wouldn't like to hear it. But, uh, another interesting thing about the song is that the melody is actually a corruption of, of the Lincolnshire poacher. Which, which? Of the, the, of the, the ballad that Ben quoted. Really? How does it go? Can you sing a, a verse of it to uh, it? Uh, and turning round, O oh, to the north, he said, O oh, faithless friend, it's you who caused my overthrow and brought me to this end. The, um, the gallows tree... Oh, so no, I'm sorry, I, I haven't got it, but... But you've you certainly it's made just, your point about it, yes, the, that tune of the Lincolnshire you know, poetry. Also, in this part of County Derry, I think it was the, during the 98, it was the only, only place where, um, I'm not quite sure where it was, but they actually, uh, the United Men erected a guillotine here with to show sort of uh, solidarity with France. This is Mahara and... Um, uh, it's a bigger place than I thought it was. I, I was under the mistaken southern ignorant impression that that uh, it was a uh, that uh, places that you don't know well in the north are all small places. But this is this is quite a big place. It is. Indeed, and um, uh, is it a, an old settlement, Sean? Do you know anything about well, Mahara? Well, actually, it, it's a, it's an old monastic settlement because before it was called Mahara, it was called Ra Luruk after a Saint Luruk. And there is the remains of a very fine Romanesque church here, uh, the doorway, and it has a notable crucifixion in bas-relief on the doorway. It's uh, it, it's a fairly knocked about the site now, but it is an old monastic site. Charles Thompson, by the way, who Actually, announced it. Actually, uh, it, it was the uh, seat of the Diocese of Ardstraw. Yes, and the old Diocese of Ardstraw. If you remember that the present uh, auxiliary bishop of New York is titular bishop of Ardstraw. Here, here. Well, now, this is an interesting thing. I've noticed recently that um, auxiliary bishops, uh, my, my eye, as you know, ever vigilant on ecclesiastical affairs, and particularly where, where bishops are involved, uh, that recently appointed titular bishops have, in more, in more than one case, taken their, their, their titular see as, or have been given it, I don't know whether they selected it or not, uh, not as was often the case from uh, dead, as we say, diocese in the Middle East, but in all party was in fidelium. Yeah. But now, but recently, they are from parties which are very much fidelium. Yeah. And uh -huh. in fact, the um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the auxiliary, the new auxiliary of Cardiff, uh, who is a very good Welsh scholar, by the way, and an Irishman, uh, Monsignor Mullins, 
uh, his title, I think, is an Irish, is a, a, a dead Irish diocese. And I know Glastonbury has been used also really? recently. Well, I talked to the New York Senator of New York, Edward Head, Monsignor Edward Head, and asked him about this, and he said his mother came from Mara. Oh, so that's that's why, why he is I Bishop see. of Arch's throw, which, which reminds me of another story of Miles Nagopoli and the late lamented Miles in his column one morning mentioned uh, what he regarded as a typical Irish ballad, My Colleen Jass from Arch's throw. Whereupon Brenda Bean proceeded to write the ballad for him. <laughs> Ardstraw is in fact mentioned in a ballad. The parish of Ardstraw still survives near Newton Stewart, where the river Derg flows down through it from Loch Derg to join the Mourn. A local ballad says about the river, When it reaches the Mourn, it gives a ha-ha for the joy of flowing down through Bonnie Ardstraw. That's a lovely thought. Charles Thompson, by the way, the announcer of the declaration... Of, a pen, of independence was born in Mahara. the village of Swatra or Swatra. What is Swatra, John? I have no idea, John. Neither have I. Well, uh, Swatra strikes some sort of a bell in my memory and it's not for historic reasons. What is it? Um, bell me. Well, it's it's in, in, in sort of recent times. Uh, it's one of the um, best examples of the uh, cooperative movement being That's started. It. Father, it. Father Shields, uh, who um, I think was very much inspired by, by Father McDarrah and Colum Kill and, and there's... Um, yeah, Sean, you're demurring at that, are you? Did you? Yes, I thought that uh, he uh, preceded Father McDyer. Oh, his, oh did he? Uh, I, well, yes. maybe so. Uh, um, but well, anyway, uh, he's the Father McDyer of East Ulster, or Father McDyer is the is the Father of Shields of West Ulster, whatever you like, like to that. look at it. Just. But it was one of the great examples. In, in, in I mean, uh, this part of the world now is a fairly bitter kind of part of the country politically and and, uh, and uh, religiously. It has been over the last while. But uh, it was a great example of... of um, Cooperation across the religious lines. Oh, Actually, well. I, w- I once heard him talking to a meeting of the cooperative movement in Dublin, and he came down and he said that he had come prepared to, to um, speak for 20 minutes and had only been allotted five. So he said he would say what, what he would, was going to say in the 20 and the five, and by God, he did too. Brother, our next stop is Garva. Uh, Sean, you want to say something about Garva there? Were you a moment well, ago? The, um, I, I think one of the memorable things about Garva is the Garva House. the was the Canning family. George Canning, the British Prime Minister, was born in Garva, at Garva House. This house had been the family, the Canning family, since the 17th century. And uh, they also had a famous harper uh, who died at the age of 102. Uh, Bill Meeks may help him. His name was Dennis O'Hempsey. Oh, himself. Oh, of course. I, yes. find, I once actually uh, uh, was doing a programme on bunting. I found his grave. He was, he's buried up in, in, um, in uh, McGilligan. Uh, we, 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 uh, yes, uh, he was rumoured to be buried in a particular graveyard, and, and uh, a few of us sort of played around with the stones, and we found something that was definitely uh, O'Hempsey written on it. Of course, then he got married at um, he got married at the age of eighty, and, and uh, or, or more. He, yeah, he died not at one hundred and two, one hundred and twelve. That was a good age. As we get into Garva, we cross over the Agivi River, which is a tributary of the Ban. We're really travelling parallel to the Ban Valley now. This great waterway of Ulster, and at Coleraine, we'll be on the Ban itself. But the town to the right of us here, Port Glenone, is distinguished as having uh, Ulster's only Cistercian monastery, a new monastery 
which was founded here within very recent times. And uh, the abbot there, um, Father Egidius, told me on one occasion when they were invited to found this monastery here in this particular area, which, as Bill says, is pretty black, one of their big encouragers was Lord Brookra, who thought that their agricultural uh, attainments would be very useful to Ulster, and in fact had the monastery stock escorted by RUC vehicles from the border. lap of our journey uh, to Coleraine. On our right, of course, along the way is the noble river Ban. Ta tiltjene banaroinje door to Galeiner, eges duigje ichhain er ar melchenengland. Who wrote that? Shosa Magdalena wrote that as a kind of an adaptation of Adonis Leboe, and uh, it was in a story he told about uh, uh, a clan from Donegal raiding the glens. And as they came across, they said, "Ta tiltje na panaroin ya door to go lema, agus duike ikainro erar malakon ngla." We are in the Okahan country. We here. are in Okahan country, one of the greatest countries in the history of Irish music. Of course, well, Rory Dal, the harpist. Rory Dal and people descended from Rory Dal for years and years, right down to the time of Bunting's festival in Belfast. And came from this district, and by the way, McGill uh, McGilligan's just over there, where the Great Harbour of Hempstead, as we said, we came. Said came from. Yes. And I, I'm glad to say there's a young member of the O'Cahan family keeping up the tradition of Aikshire le lecturing in University College Galway now. And Quite. I think the only Irishman who's a scholar of the Lap language, <laughs> but uh, uh, talking about laps and last laps and so on, and the river ban uh, bill. Uh, there's uh, surely the banks of the ban. There's a, there is a ballad, or there's probably oh, more than one ballad. There's no river I, which, according to the song, seems to have been so along its banks to have been so profuse and beautiful girls, actually. It's a nice one. Uh, um, uh, when first to this country a stranger I came, I placed my affection on a maid that was fair. She being young and tender, her waist it was slender. False nature had placed her for my overthrow. And it goes on, it's very sad, she's uh, of higher degree, but eventually it, 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 all, it all ends well, despite the cruel parents. And it ends. And now we are married, I'm happy forever. She's rings on her fingers and gold in her ear. And by the lovely banks of a bunny bond river, in happy contentment I'll dwell with my dear. And uh, a charming song indeed. Uh, we're coming into Cold Rain now, and of course, Cold Rain has recently become a far more prominent place. Uh, because of the new University of Ulster, which is situated here. But, of course, it's a very uh, old town. It is. Well, of course, it was the great centre of the Cahan clan, and then in plantation times, under Sir John Perrett, the town actually was designed and built. 
with uh, an interesting example of the first case of prefabrication. He had the houses prefabricated, the oaken frames prefabricated in London, and brought over here to start the town of Coleraine. And are any of these houses still no, unfortunately, standing? No. That would be worth having a look at if they were. By the way, does the the old the the, the, the Gaelic uh, name Cool Rain is that preserved at all in local pronunciation? Is the Cool or is it always a coal sound? Oh, no, I'm afraid uh, we have got away from the Gaelic very much in this town. It's cold rain. Aye. O'Cahan um, country, and uh, of course now we're up on by the North Antrim coast. Uh, an area which I think uh, around here uh, has a, a, a good history of tolerance. I think there hasn't been a great deal of... of uh... You're quite right, Sean. No, there was always a place where people could live together in peace. And it was also the area, of, of course, of the um, a bit lower down the river, too, of the independent Orange Order, who, although they were Orangemen, many of them were home rulers as yes, well. Yes, indeed. And, uh, Ben, this uh, part of the country doesn't occupy well, I, I just, a place. I just see on the signpost ahead, Castle Rock and Downhill, associated with the famous Bishop of Derry and Earl of Bristol, who was associated, as you know, with the volunteers. Indeed. And Carolyn's Harp is in Downhill, too. His house, the ruins of his house are still standing in Downhill and also uh, some other buildings put up, including the famous Mussenden Temple, a temple of the winds built on the cliffs looking out over the sea. Uh, it's still quite Wasn't a that tourist site. lady friend and cousin? Or? Yes, right. And this was the bishop, the, the Earl Bishop, the Earl bishop of uh, uh, whose name Frederick is, Hervey. And Frederick whose name is, uh, is held in honour in every town in Europe where yeah. there's a Hotel, Hotel Bristol, Bristol, yes. Uh, Lord uh, Charlemagne was rather nasty about the lady and the, the little temple, I think. See, well, of course, the gentry were up to no good in those days, as well known. Um, and does I was going to say, though, Ben, does this part of Ulster occupy any part in your private cosmography, as it were, Not of Ulster? this particular From Tyrone. The Gilligan I, Strand, yes, were mostly associated with Pat Boyle's story, The Betrayers. But Coleraine Town and... Just this particular corner, Ballymena, yes, perhaps, and the Braid Valley, and then, of course, over towards Bally Castle and into the glens. But for me, this is a, a part of the north that I would not automatically think of. And I was wondering, does it link with what, what other parts of Ulster does it link, Sean? Do people say, people in uh, your part in, in Armagh or Tyrone, do they think of this part of, of, of the County Derry at all? Very, very little. Aye. Very, very and little. It's a part that we know, I think uh, we would know all too little about, but of course the fact that Port Rush and Port Stewart uh, yeah, have. It's famous for a wee drop called rain, isn't oh, it? Yes. A cold rain whiskey, yes. Yeah, indeed, a, yes. And I spent my honeymoon in Port Stewart. Aye. Well, uh, I think, uh, as I say, it's famous for the, for the, um, for the whiskey. Uh, it's now uh, famous. Uh, it, uh, it has always been famous for the whiskey. It's now famous for the university. There is, and yes, there is a parish where was a parish priest here. One Stephen Wynn, I think, told the story about him in his book. Who was it was suggested to him that he should preach temperance sermon, sermons and warn his congregation about the dangers of whiskey. And he said, "I always do. I tell them never to drink anything except the best Corinne. <laughs> a drop of the pure. Yes. Well, famous for all these things, and also for a song which, while uh, not uh, a genuine traditional ballad still has an honoured place I think in our balladry and that is the song of that lovely girl Kitty When beautiful 
little kitty one morning went strolling with a pitcher of milk from the fair at Coleraine. When she spied me, she tumbled the pitcher, it tumbled. All the sweet buttermilk watered the plain. Oh, what shall I do now? Twas looking at you now. The like of this pitcher I'll never see again. Twas the pride of me dairy, oh, Barney McClary. Your Santa's a plague to the girls of Coleraine. I sat down beside her and gently did chide her, ask why such misfortune should bring her such pain. And before I did leave her a kiss then I gave her, she swore for the pleasure she'd break it again. Twas haymaking season, I can't tell the reason, misfortune it never comes single, tis plain. For very soon after poor Kitty's disaster, devil a pitcher was holding Coleraine. Oh, well, well, on that note, here we are safe and sound in Coleraine. Good night to you all from Sean O'Wheel, Ben Kiley, Sean White, Michael Ahern, Bill Meek and Sean Canan. Good night. <laughs>